Welcome to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Join us as we share our favorite RPGs, one-shot games, tabletop games, reviews, and convention panels. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, a sign to Ragnarok story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Aww. We're together being geeks. It's the best. <laughs> Should we close the door? Yes. Hey. Do we want to just start with uh, telling people what the panel is about and introducing ourselves? Sure. Yeah. Ashley. Let's start with introductions and then we'll dive into what the panel's about. So, Ashley, would you start us off with introductions? Of course I will. Okay. <laughs> um, my name is Ashley and uh, this is my first time to Tuscon, so I'm very excited to be here. Uh, yes, I am a lifelong Trekkie. I grew up watching it with my mom. One of my earliest memories is staying up way past my bedtime to watch Next Gen with my mom on the couch. And um, I'm super excited about this new age of Star Trek. Uh, my name is Chaz Kemp. I am an illustrator from Denver. Um, I have done probably close to 300 book covers, magazine covers, that sort of thing, interior illustrations, etc., for a wide variety of different companies, indie authors, on and on and on. Um, I've been a Star Trek fan pretty much all my life, and uh, it's, I don't know, it's just really cool to finally be at a place where, you know, in our collective consciousness and in this time of our lives where we can actually be bold and proud and say we really love geeky things, especially things like Star Trek, and not, you know, get taken around behind the school and thrown in the dumpster for it. You know, so. I love that. My name is Tanya Gopower, and collectively we're sort of known as the Rhinish Turtle Conservation Society, which is a deep, nerdy Game of Thrones joke. But um, yeah, I, I enjoy coming to Tuscan to talk about nerdy stuff. I have been a fan of Star Trek since I was probably, I, I was introduced to it through Next Gen because my mom was like, this is really great and you should watch it. And it turned out I agree. And I am also really loving all this new Trek content we've gotten. And I'm excited to talk about it. Hi, everybody. Most of you know me as Madame Askew, but right now I'm the mysterious woman who plays Madame Askew on TV. <laughs> My name is Jocelyn, and I'm a, I'm a recovering, no I'm not, I'm a massive addict of Star Trek, and I'm happy to be here today. It started with Wesley Crusher on episode one of Next Generation, and it just hasn't stopped since then. Uh, no, I am a, a, an entertainer, a performer, a costumer, a 
a geek uh, reviewer, and I love being in the space with everybody, and it's delightful to be able to pull back the screen and be the person who loves fandom talking about fandom with my friends. We do have a new person. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not new, just like... You're still <laughs> shiny. You're, still, you're, you're fresh out of the package. Um, so, uh, my name is Wendy, and I am a long-time Tuscon resident. Um, I've lived here for over 40 years. No, almost 40 years. Um, but uh, yeah, my Star Trek background actually started with the original series uh, as reruns. And um, my parents are both science fiction nerds. Um, when I ran out of books to read as a teenager, I got found my dad's stash. So um, when Star Trek, especially at when I got older and um, Next Generation came out, I think that's where I really fell in love with it because I found characters I could identify with. So, and then since then, it's just the only things I haven't seen are the animated ones. Mm. I'm getting there. <laughs> so, just to let you all know that we are talking about today specifically as a group of people who clearly like Star Trek. Um, our panel is, this is right now, the golden age of Star Trek. And uh, for many years we languished with no Star Trek aside from the films. Uh, then in 2017, Discovery premiered, issuing a, a new golden age of Trek. Today we'll explore strange new worlds, discuss new characters and new plot lines, and boldly go where no one has gone before. I'm very excited. Um, and so, Wendy, you're starting us out with a little yeah. bit about our favorite, Jean-Luc. So, yes. when we were talking about uh, our, our favorite modern stuff, um, I, Next Generation, like I said, really, and I think for a lot of people, especially around my age group, that, that was the one that really pulled people in. So, I wanted to go back to those characters and I wanted to stick with them. And Picard does that. I, it feels like, to me, one of the things I really love about it is it's kind of a, a, it's kind of a love letter to the fans, in a way. Um, and, you know, I, my husband and I have debates and pick parts, parts apart and things like that, but I don't think I'm here for that. Um, uh, the, the thing I particularly love about Picard is that it's both familiar and new at the same time. We've got familiar characters, it's in the future, so this is what they've been doing all this time, right? Um, Wendy, I'm going to just pause yeah. you for a minute. Whoever has their cell phone alarm on, if you could turn that on for us, thank you very much. Please go ahead. And, um, no, where was it? Oh. Uh, familiar and new. Familiar and new, and it is because. Number one, one of the things that I love about most of the Star Trek, it is not done in Picard. And so my husband specifically stopped watching it for this reason. Um, but I still love the stories and kept watching. And that is the episodic nature of most of the Star Trek series we're familiar with, where you have kind of a long-term story of the relationships between the people on the ship, but um, each episode has a conclusion, it has a, a solution or a resolution. Um, whereas Picard, it's each season, has a solution or a resolution. And that was something that I know some people, that was a big critique, you know, some people were expecting that 
episodic where this problem is solved and now we move on to the next one. And um, so I had to, the first season, I had to kind of take a step back and say this is something different, but familiar characters, so this new concept. Um, and it also, I think, especially, and I think, like I said, I haven't seen the animated ones yet, but all of the other ones still address, just like Roddenberry did in our original series, still address social issues of today in one way or another. And I love that it continues that. Um, so that's, that's where I'm at on the card. Is there any more detail you would like to hear? I'm trying also not to be spoiler yeah. either. Oh, well, I, I mean, all this throw this out. Are. I'm going to throw this out there. We're going to talk about all of it. If you yeah. do not want to be spoiled on any aspect, <laughs> this is your warning. You can stick your fingers in your ears, or you can wander forth. And or, you're like, we won't hold it against you if you leave, because you don't want spoilers. But I think we should be able to we just talk about all really? of it. Okay, so first season, um, addressing the, the issue and the fears and the anxieties around AI. Yeah, um, that was good. Yeah. And, and really addressing or, or stating, kind of implying this is what could happen if we allow those fears to run things. And this is how potentially people we would empathize with who are AI would be treated. And it's also a statement, a social statement just on inequity and inequality as well. However, I think it really plays to the, the um, the anxieties that we're having, especially in the past couple years. <laughs> yeah. At the time, I felt like because the AI debate had not quite blown up right. in that moment, it felt like it was a lot more of a meditation on um, what it means to have equity and what it means to be a sentient being worthy of like body autonomy and human rights, which is also like a very pertinent conversation yeah. to be having right Absolutely. Now. So I, I thought that was part of what really elevated that first season, was that very timely conversation. It was the measure of a man, but yes. over an entire... That's exactly yes. what I was going to yeah. say. Yeah, yeah. The same <laughs> messages that we're getting my, that. my favorite episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was like they went from there and they were like, well, what, what, how, like, make that conversation, let's take that conversation further. Yeah, which yeah. I love, because I think yeah. a lot of people, that's their favorite episode. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. most people know Measure of a Man. Yeah. And so, yeah. taking that and being able to really dissect it over an entire season. We actually screened that at TuscCon uh, a couple years ago. Is everyone familiar with the episode we're talking about? Gate is on trial. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Just basically, check. Star Trek wants to, or the, the Federation wants to take data and make lots and lots of datas yes. so they can serve on every ship. I want to treat them like a tool. Well, yeah. and, and ultimately it was it was a situation where it's like, well, you know, if one starship can have a data, then all starships should have a data. And then basically, you know, they take this, this, this wondrous machine and then weirdly enough, they objectify it. Yeah. And it's the fight against the objectification, which in Picard, to kind of bring it back around a little bit, um, you guys, you know, you, are, you were saying rightly so that they took that episode and kind of took it yeah. forward. And it's also a discussion about the fact that it's like, well, we have, we have these artificial beings. We should use them to our advantage. We don't necessarily want to objectify them. But then there was also the situation where people felt like 
they could theoretically be replaced, which is also what we're talking about too, with AI, especially AI art and chat GPT, where people are like, well, pretty soon we're not gonna need artists or authors because the machines will just do it all. And it's like, well, that's not really true, but it's a conversation that we're currently having. Well, and, and, and season one of the card also talked a lot about, and it, like, like you addressed, um, the agency of the AI, right? And, and, but this time, instead of being like the measure of man where the guy is like, he's just a tool. It's just a tool. We're gonna take it apart, we're gonna make more, it'll be great. Um, in Picard, it's more, uh, they, they are, they're trying to say, well, we don't wanna, we, you know, we don't want them to, to, to be oppressed or whatever, but we don't want them to have agency either. Mm -hmm. And um, so that was, that was it, there's a lot of interesting subtext. And even the kind of, even the kind of cheesy nods for, and this is both, all of the seasons, there were little nods towards the fans in explaining certain things. Um, even those, those little cheesy nods towards the fans explaining certain things like aging of, uh, immortal beings, um, <laughs> you know, they, they, but but in that case they explain it and then they don't dwell on it, which yeah. is nice. But it did seem a little cheesy. But even with those, there's still those serious subtexts in in all of the all of the seasons. And I, it's kind of interesting. My argument with my husband has been he's like I like the episodic ones. I like them having resolution in one episode. But the way that the card series has been <coughs> those issues can't be resolved in one episode. Mm -hmm. They're too complex. Yeah. And it's nice to see them hashed out. Yeah. Uh, so Ken, yeah, I, well, I just want to say one thing. You know, I remember the cards is I liked it. But one thing else it brought up, especially at the end, was another because for say technology. That was extending a human's life. Yeah. 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 Then the after died, they put an artificial body. Yeah. Yes. Which opens up all kinds of other oh, yeah. <laughs> potential yeah. problems. Yeah. Right. And, and it does open up all the other potential sort of things as we get into season three. But I, I'm going to sort of shivvy us along a little bit because I have a clock in front of me. And so I want to make sure we get to talk at least a little bit about everything. So um, we might have to circle back around to Picard because it's great and we want to talk more about it. But Ashley, mm -hmm. you are talking about our, one of the other greats that's come out and the one that sort of welcomed in this golden age and that is Discovery. Yes, Discovery kind of kicked off the new resurgence of Star Trek. So um, just like when TNG came out, a lot of the original series fans were like, mm. and so that's getting, Discovery got a lot of that. Discovery has gotten a lot of like, oh, I don't, I don't know about this. and. The first episode, I was I was just excited that there was new Star Trek to watch because I got to actually watch it as it was airing. It was I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. I was so excited. <laughs> so the very first episode, I remember that uh, one of Rob Gary's visions was it was a utopia. All of the conflict was going to be coming from outside of the ship. They were going to be completely great. No conflict within the team. Um, she phasers her captain. <laughs> First so I was just like, that's not, you know, Roddenberry's vision. But um, then I stopped myself and I'm like, don't be that person. Enjoy the fact that there is Star Trek here. You know, be grateful for what you have. And taking myself out of that mindset of comparing it to previous series, 
really helped me enjoy it a lot more. Um, Discovery, I think, is very different than any of the other shows. Mm -hmm. I think Discovery standalone is very different from any of the Star Treks we've seen, um, even the ones that have come after. It's pre the original series when it comes out, and then it's post Voyager. <laughs> so it's like it spans two different timelines, which anytime there's time travel, it just gets weird. So um, I forgive the little inconsistencies and things just because it's hard to do time travel, especially when you've got all of this established canon that's happening in the middle of it. But um, the biggest question is, why have we never heard of Discovery? Why are we not using spore drives? Why didn't Voyager have a spore drive to get home instead of having to go, you know, 80 years and use mm -hmm. a it? So the biggest thing with that is that Samus was the one who could run the spore drive, right? So mm -hmm. if he was the only one who could run it, He's in the future right now, um, so no one else is going to be able to even use this workout. Um, we're not into capturing tardigrades anymore, so that's good. Um, and it also, Section 31 ordered it to be destroyed, so it's a top secret thing at this point. You know, and there's that's happened before in Canon, where uh, technology has been put off to the side and we're not allowed to use it or even reference it anymore. And that's very Star Trek. That's a very Star Trek thing that's happened. So, um, those are the biggest critiques I've heard. Also that it's too woke. And there's too And like it is so queer and I love it. Because that was part of Roddenberry's vision that he didn't even know was his vision yet, because at the time that wasn't even something that they were worried about addressing. But all Star Trek, like Wendy was saying, they've always addressed social issues. And the biggest one now is that people are people, all of them. Concept, right? So oh, discovery yeah. is. I know. The best mode was right all along. So, um, I I love how just accepting and inclusive it is of everyone. The little queer family unit they have with Hugh and uh, Paul and Adira and Gray. I love that. So good. Like, there's just, and it's not a big deal. Like they had Hugh and. Um, Stamets, like they just kissed on screen, they were brushing their teeth, getting ready for bed. You know, so it's like they had the first interracial kiss on TV and then they have this. And it's just not a big deal. And I love that, that it's just this is how it is. Um, so I'm I'm really loving it. I love um, Grudge. Grudge is a queen. <laughs> the cat. So oh my gosh. I love Grudge so much. That's another thing that I really love about it is uh, yeah, Grudge is amazing. And they have a druid. Like one of the characters is a druid, which is awesome. Like they're reading all those. So, um, but it is more arty than I thought, like we were talking about before. So, there's a lot of the longer arcs to really delve into things because the concepts that Discovery is covering are not things that can really be covered in an episode. So, it's the longer arcs, which is cool because you have the time to jump into it. So, um, yeah. What I was going to say is it's a big nod towards the uh, Darkwing universe. A lot of the other series kind of touch on it. Yeah. Like, Enterprise did a little bit, yeah. but there's a huge nod to that. And then for the Spore technology drive, which I thought was really cool, actually, mm -hmm. it's kind of a nod to Voyager, because Voyager uses that symbiotic, um, biomaterial type of neural connects, right, yeah, yeah. for the ship. So uh, it's a nod towards Voyager. 
it is, I got enough to like season three. I kind of, I, it's kind of difficult because what they do with the Klingons, I you know that was a huge complaint from a lot of people. Yeah. Just when they appear, the fact of, mm -hmm. it kind of deviates from what we know from like the original Star Trek and this generation of how the Klingons are. Mm -hmm. But yeah, what did they What did they do to I definitely like the fact that they did the Klingons were inclusive everybody. I mean, you're supposed to be an utopian, you know, this is a society's utopian. All the other series really didn't touch on, mm -hmm. you know, having different, you know, having queer folks, having people that are straight, you know, it's totally inclusive. And I think not just before, but New Strange World's kind of doing that too. Yeah, oh yeah, and I love that series. I'm addicted to that. Yeah. Um, so you asked about the difference. Yes, I was going to say, they look very different. Um, they delve yes. more into the houses and unifying the houses and breaking them apart and all of that. So they get a lot more into the Klingon structure. Like the culture and stuff. Yeah. Which is and cool. One of the yeah, things that we see that is very cool is that they're bald in the first season. Yes. And everyone's like, what is this? One of the things that were established canon after that with Klingons is that in times of peace they have no hair. In times of war they grow it out. Oh, and so I'm like, that's oh. really cool. That's a piece of lore that we didn't have before, right. you know? So it's like, people complaining, I'm like, just trust the process. <laughs> there's a reason, like, it's coming. Well, so. we, also, we also, there's so much that we think we know about Klingon culture, but there's so much that we kind of don't. Right. And I like the fact that, you know, especially through discovery and everything, you're starting you, you begin to find out various things that you didn't know that Worf didn't tell you because Worf didn't spend huge amounts of time with his own right. people. Well, Worf did not, if you remember in um, uh, Deep Space Nine, when they went back to the Enterprise in uh, the original series, which was a great episode, they look at Worf and they're like, and he said, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. It was the Tribbles episode. Trials and Tribulations. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, I don't want to talk about it because they're like, why do you look so different? And so he didn't reveal it, but it, they made it a joke. Yeah. It was yeah. like, it was really good. Yeah. I was yeah. And then, yeah. what were you saying? At that point, they also brought full circle uh, Enterprise to explain why mm -hmm. it happened. It's because uh, all the smooth forehead types were augments with human DNA. With human oh. DNA. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, the way I look at it is, and I mean, this isn't canon, but the way that I look at it is that Klingons probably experimented a lot, or at least delved a lot into body modification. And they tried lots of different things. You know, maybe they tried to, maybe they wanted to infiltrate the Federation, so they tried to make a whole bunch of Klingons look more human, so that it can be spies and things like that. Um, so I think. <laughs> so uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean that's the way I kind of look at it. So it's like if you have ridges and you know you're into a lot of ritual and you're doing a lot of stuff, you know they don't do tattoos. So maybe there's some other way that they can go. Well, how can we as Klingons look more badass? You know. Yeah. And so with Discovery being the new one that's kind of coming out, it's for a, a whole next generation. Right. It is the next generation. It is TNG. Like my bonus kid and my partner back there. Um, this is his introduction to Star Trek as they're going through Discovery together. So it's really cool because he's now getting to go through what I did with TNG and my mom. You know? 
Um, I also feel like if you don't start with the original series, it's really hard to go back and watch it. Like even <laughs> seeing like TNG <laughs> trying to go backwards, it's really hard. If you start with TOS, it's great. Um, and I'm thinking, I'm really wondering if that's how it's going to be for the people who start with Discovery, even going back to TNG. You know, because it's it's dated. You know, so um, I'm just I'm really interested to see how the implications it has with everything. So thank you, Ashley. We'll probably come back. And, and hit on things, and also there will be time for questions and answers before we wrap up. So, um, Tanya and Chaz, I'm not really skipping you. I'm just going through the order. You're just special. You're in the sandwich uh, sure, now, sure. you know, because you're so special. Um, you are special, actually, not to be sarcastic. Tanya, you're going to talk about Strange New Worlds, and that sort of like comes out of discovery. So I'm really yeah. excited to hear what you have to say. And I was like, I didn't start watching all of this new content until a year ago whenever we got access to Paramount Plus. Someone's a busher. And <laughs> I, but like, you know, I've read a lot of, I've read just little bits of stuff. I didn't, I basically went in almost blind because I knew I would see these things eventually. So I didn't want to like totally spoil the big things. But I knew about Strange New Worlds and I was excited because I, like I said, I started mostly with Next Gen and I have watched little bits and pieces and read about things from the original series. And like, honestly, I didn't watch much original series because my mom didn't like it. And I was an impressionable kid. What? How can are you still living under the same roof? Well, I'm 45, I'm 46 years old, and she's dead, so no. no. Um, anyway, I knew Christopher Pike was a character from the original, like, Hamden yes. or whatever, like the, un the unaired pilot, and I knew about the menagerie and cage and all that stuff. And, like, I didn't have time to rewatch any of that stuff. I'm only addressing the here and now and some Mount Christopher Pike with his fabulous hair. So, like, it was really cool because they introduced, I got really excited when they introduced him in Discovery. I'm like, ah, Spike! Oh my god, that's number one! Because I knew that at the very beginning of Star Trek, the original series, number one was supposed to be, like, it was supposed to be a big deal as a female first officer. But it didn't happen. And I... When I learned that that didn't happen, and like at the time, I remembered like at the time hearing that like like they didn't think that like people weren't going to respond well to a woman in a role of command. And so to me, having Rebecca Romaine as Una Chin Riley, which P.S. she didn't actually get a name for many many years until there was a canon Star Trek novel written. <laughs> and so I felt to to me that. Her having the role as first officer was like writing an old wrong. <laughs> and so we meet both of them in season two of Discovery. And then, if, I mean, and of course, whenever, when everyone watched it in first run, they were probably like, ooh, are we going to get to see more of them? And so then it was nice because we're watching it at home. And I'm like, we got to watch season one of Strange New Worlds when this is over. <laughs> because some friends had recommended, and like, if you haven't, they would recommend it, like, finish season two of Discovery, watch season one of Strange New Worlds. Yeah. Because, like, if you went all the way through and then started back again, you might forget some stuff. So we watched, like, three season three of Discovery and season one of Strange New Worlds concurrently. <laughs> but anyway, um, enough of that. This, 
this show is just so cool to me because it is like it, it's continuing the, the thing of like diversity and inclusion and it's really cool to just look at the bridge and see like a really good mix of people like there's a comic book writer that years ago I saw her at a con and she talked about being criticized for making a comic that was primarily women um, heroes and she told the, she told her she told the person who was questioning her when you have enough when you have enough women the world feels real and if it doesn't feel real then it's bullshit <laughs> and that's the thing that I thought when I first looked at the bridge of Pikes Enterprise because you have all these amazing people and like women in these like really cool roles and everybody's just great and I love that we get to see like kind of like almost like you get to learn Uhura's origin story mm -hmm. and like I wasn't familiar I didn't realize until like I don't know last year that Mbinga was a was an original character from the original series but they're all so great and like I love that as they go along they kind of make references to other series and other things that have happened that like <coughs> events and things that we already know about but and we get to see like Kirk when he's just coming up mm -hmm. now I didn't know Kirk had a brother sure <laughs> and I just and I think it's really it's just it's just so fun I've seen I have seen people complain about all these women on the bridge well, and I'm just like oh. that's typical <laughs> right unfortunately that's typical right yeah it's it really ridiculous. is but it's like what's wrong you don't think that she can pilot a starship <laughs> She flies the ship. Right. <laughs> she flies the ship. She is the best pilot. <laughs> She's so good. Yeah. And this is the way, and part of me when I hear that, it's like, it's like you were saying, Ashley, if you, if you go in and you find something that jars you, and you can choose to go one of two ways. You can be like, well, that's not the way I remember it. That's not the way I think it should be. Or you can just say, well, you know what? See how this goes. And if you persist in the first mindset, then maybe this isn't for you, and you just should stop watching it and stop complaining to everyone else. <laughs> or be open-minded. <laughs> right. Just be open-minded. Well, what I like is how Uhura and um, Nurse Chapel were totally, you know, the stereotypical female from if you watched the very first original Star Trek. Now you get to see them in these totally different, very right. strong, like, Nurse Chapel is totally yeah, different. Right. You see, you yeah. kind of see the glimmer of her being a firecracker in the original series. You get to see her young, and you see her background. This woman, you can't ask. She's, she's awesome. Really, she's amazing. Yes, like, and I her love and Becca were, like, in the war together. Yes. And, like... This is actually like this era of Star Trek because like you grow up if you grow up like watching Next Gen, well, they all they talk about the Klingon War. Right. You you hear about it from the original series movies, and that's actually one thing that I was kind of excited about with Discovery. I'm like, oh shit, it's the Klingon War. We get to learn about the Klingon War. This is great. And of course, it's war, so it's terrible. But it was an interesting part of history from Star Trek that I didn't know. So I thought it was really interesting. And then, like that episode they had of Strange New Worlds, where the guy comes on board, 
and everybody has to reckon with Yes, exactly. That was a good episode. And to speak to the Nurse Chapel point, um, some of the reading I was doing after some of the, like, I'd go, because, like, after some of the episodes, I'm like, oh, I saw this headline. That, like, I wonder what, you know, the ramifications were, like, how is it that they're tying these together? Mm -hmm. That there was an article I read, because you have, like, the relationship between Nurse Chapel and Spock. Yeah, I was going to mention that. Yeah. There was an article I read where they felt that putting this relationship there, because apparently, I guess, according to this article I had read, there was sometimes some, like, sort of unrequited timing going on between them. Yes. And they felt like having them have this relationship explained that. Because, you know, that when they move, it's like moving forward, you know, that's, you know, yes. doesn't really go, it's not going so well at a certain point. We learned in the musical episode that she's been accepted to this prestigious program. Right. And she hasn't told him. Mm-hmm. That was a great episode. It was, which brings us to the musical episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got very excited because, like, my favorite musical episode of television is Once More with Healing for Buffy the Vampire yes. Slayer. Okay. And um, when we watched it, I was like, people who made this episode, they know that episode. Mm-hmm. This is clearly, I was like, once more with feeling walked so that Space Rasty could fly. <laughs> because to me, I'm like, I'm in, I'm a Patreon of like a buffering rewatch podcast. And there was like a bunch of us talking there at one point. Like, there's, there's nods. There are clearly nods to once more with feeling like scattered in different places. Just a few. But it was such a good episode of television. Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. haven't seen it, hang on to your dance. Yes. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And just, it was, and it was the same sort of vibe as Once More with Feeling. People singing about the things they don't feel like they can talk about. Mm-hmm. And it was so, it was, it was sweet and poignant and delightful. And at some points, very awkward. Like, whatever <laughs> went tight. And the other captain are on the bridge and basically kind of airing their business. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's funny. Which, as a, as a completely unrelated aside, I love that the act that Melody Scarfano, who played Winona Earp, is in Star Trek. <laughs> so So, before we move on to our next section, would we each like to share a favorite song from the musical episode? <laughs> because it is packed full of awesome it's stuff. So good. Wow, yeah. Um, I think of her as my favorite. Um, I need to re- I was just enjoying it so much in the moment that I don't remember any of the specific songs except for the Klingon Oblivion. That was, I lost it. <laughs> so, that's it, just that over I don't remember what the name of the song is, but it's the opening song. Most peculiar. I think that's I don't remember. Yeah, that was that was fantastic because I mean, no, I wasn't expecting them to start singing, mm-hmm. no. and then they do that, and it was like, oh. And yeah. because I sing, I'm usually a little bit more critical whenever people want to do music because not everyone can sing. You can tell. It's like, oh, that's been auto-tuned. Or, oh, they're, mm, they're a little flat. Mm, okay, that's fine, I guess. But you know. <laughs> um, but they weren't. They could all sing really, really, really well. And I was like, oh, I could just, I don't have to critique yeah. this at all. I can Every just enjoy it. Every cast member singing that, you're hearing their voice. 
Yeah, I was, yeah. I was reading that a lot of them have a musical theater back now. Yes. They needed to bring in the Yeah. Yeah, he's probably sitting at home going, oh, the actor who plays Uhura started. Oh, Uhura. nice! Oh, so that's that's what they're actually known for. Oh, that's so cool. The original Uhura was also a singer. Yeah, yeah. 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 A singer and a dancer. She yeah. was, she was everything. She was amazing. She was everything. I think my favorite yeah. song. I don't remember the name of it, but it was La'an's. Oh, oh, yeah. That's so, so funny. It was so good. So good. Yeah. <laughs> So I got to save myself for last, so I'd be like, all of those are great. I love all of them. I don't have to pick, right? Um, I really do like Nurse Chapel. Yes. And, oh, my uh, God. Yes. That is so, so good. Amazing. And the whole dance routine when it goes like, yes. Oh, I yeah. So. I saw somebody um, in an article this week, like when Spock walks in and like basically sees his girlfriend like singing it, like she basically singing like a breakup song. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, oh, this yeah. is awkward. And he's singing in the corner going, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm the ex. Oh. 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 Yeah. <laughs> That's actually a little heartbreaking. Yeah. yeah, it really was. It was, because yeah. it's like he came out of nowhere. 100%. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was very cool. And you get to it. see his vulnerability. Oh, his yeah. Humans. And it's a shock. And then you realize that that's where he gets later in years. Right. He accepts his humanity. I think, yeah, and I think, like, just to bring it to say it again like that's one of the things i love so much about this is that you get to see these characters kind of like grow up yeah exactly like one of the moments i loved was in one of the episodes when kirk, when kirk is on the enterprise for some reason and then like they pan out at the end and he joins like spock and Uhura at a table and then of course at the end of season two when they're in this like there's a bombed out town because of the like the Gorn have invaded and they like find somebody and this Scottish accent comes yes. from yes. Yes. And I was yes. Yes. Is, it, is it? Yes, it is at last. So we are coming close to the end of our Star Trek love. We have two series left to talk about and we have a little bit of time. Um, Chaz? I'm going to talk about Lower Decks. You're not obligated to talk about Prodigy, but would you like to, or would you like uh, to? Sure, I'll talk about Prodigy. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Okay, so uh, Prodigy is their uh, very, very kid-centric series. Um, not necessarily a lot of uh, Star Trek fans would probably watch it, uh, because it is very focused on, on basically presenting Star Trek to a younger audience to the point where the younger audience doesn't have to grapple with a huge amount of complicated social issues or try to read a lot of subtext or metaphor or symbolism or various things along those lines. Um, but it does prep them for that. So that when they watch the series, watch the other more adult-oriented series later on, not adult as an X-rated, but you know what I mean. Um, then it really kind of gets them in the mindset of, you know, if you're watching it with your children, you can say, hey, so we just watched this episode of Prodigy. This was really cool. This happened or that happened. What do you think of this? What do you think? How do you feel? How did this make you feel? What do you think they were really talking about? And it gets things on a level to where the whole family could watch it and everybody can discuss it because discussing Star Trek is really like a big major part of, I think, why we love it so much. Because we can watch an episode and really enjoy it and then 
go watch something else, you know, I guess drag racing or whatever. <laughs> but, um, but it's being able to especially come to a convention and talk with everybody about certain episodes and what they mean. And what if, what if, what if, so when this happened, when the character said this, what, what was that whole thing? And then somebody else can go, oh, well, I think it meant this. And somebody else can go, well, no, I'm not sure about that. I think it really meant this. But you're having this really great discussion. However, when you're a kid, you kind of get left out of those discussions mm -hmm. because there's so many things that are kind of over your head that you just don't have well, life experience. Yeah. yeah. So with Prodigy, it gets them into Star Trek. It gets them to start thinking about these various things, and then everybody can have those conversations, and they can be included in those conversations because they understand what's going on. And so for me, I feel that Prodigy is incredibly important because if, if for no other reason, it gets children to start forming their own opinions and to think for themselves without other people telling them how they should feel about this or what they should think about that. They get to decide for themselves because this is on a level that they can understand inherently. You know, they don't need anybody to explain it to them because they get it. And so when they start to understand it, then they begin to enjoy it a lot more. When they enjoy it a lot more, then later on, as they get older, they're going to want to watch maybe the original series or Star Trek Next Generation or something like that. They'll want to watch those things on their own because it's like, oh, this, this is also Star Trek? Oh, well, yeah. cool. You know, let me at it. Um, and I, I find that to be incredibly uh, helpful, and it definitely helps to grow the fan base so that we constantly get younger people that come up and want to be part of the thing that we've been raving about for you know, 20, 30, 40 years. I think if that was me as a kid, I would find it kind of empowering. Mm -hmm. No, for sure. Because like, I would be like, because I think a lot of time just thinking about, just like kind of thinking about that, like a lot of times, even if there are deeper conversations, kids are left out because nobody thinks they can contribute, right. yeah. which literally sells a lot of kids short. Right, right. Well, I mean, but that's empowering is a really, right. is a really good way to, to think about it. We get you. Um, <laughs> it's a really good way to think about it because I remember when I was a little kid, I wanted to be included in those conversations. I wanted to talk about those things too. But unfortunately, there was no one my age or anyone around that was that wanted to pay that much attention to me to go, wow, Chaz, what did you think of, you know, what did you think of this Star Trek episode where people are white on the right side and black on the left side? It's like, oh, I have an opinion. Oh, okay, never mind. I, I sold it. I'll just, I'll wait. <laughs> you know, and that's how you feel as a kid. You know, you're constantly being, well, you'll get this when you're older. It's like, I, I kind of get it now. <laughs> yeah, can we talk about this now? So, yeah. I'd recommend Prodigy in its own right. Uh, I watch it because I'm a completionist. And that's fair. Yeah. I thought the first. He looked well put together. So. <laughs> I thought the first half dozen episodes are pretty slow, but then all of a sudden, as I'm watching more episodes, I'm realizing this is becoming good science fiction, good storytelling, and then it seemed to morph more into the Star Trek mode of telling uh, stories of each individual and uh, mm -hmm. uh, it just felt more and more of a So I recommend it uh, even as an adult uh, as a worthy part of Star Trek. Right. I'm really looking forward to hitting that. Because yeah. by, the by the time we got around to it, because um, we were trying to watch them like more or less in release order, kind of, and there had been a the big thing where like they'd been canceled, they'd been taken off Paramount Plus, 
And we were like, well, now we're going to watch it. Yeah. And so we were very excited to see if there had been enough of a ruckus raised that Netflix has saved it. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. oh, that's good. And plus it's uh, Janeway. And so it's yes. like, yeah. that's kind of a gateway. Into I'm, yeah, no, I'm, all about, I'm all about Janeway. Oh, yes. Yeah. yes. We yes. love the Janeway. So, back there has a question. Yeah, I see two comments or questions. And we're going to get those. And then we're going to wrap it up with lower decks. Yeah. I think really the, one of these problems that I'm seeing, and we have to do an entire hour on this alone, <laughs> is you have an established fan base over an incredible amount of time, 50 plus years, um, that how, and dealing with canon issues, then going back to it. As an example, you know, I, with uh, Lon Nguyen Singh in Strange New Worlds, um, and my fallible memory is like, but they didn't know anything about Khan back then. And then I went back and watched Spacey, and yeah, they knew about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But you know, it, it took a lot to tie all that back into it. And I think you know, it's, it's a real credit to the writers and producers and the, the showrunners that they're able to tie in this vast history. Yeah, I know that with Star Wars, there is there is literally a person whose job it is to kind of try to keep track of the canon. I think some, I don't know if it's his actual title, but in one of the fan groups I'm in, they, he's kind of been referred to as like the keeper of the canon. <laughs> it would not surprise me if there is at least one or one one or more people for that role, well, like in behind the behind scenes of Star Trek. <laughs> Star Trek seems to have a better hold on yeah. the canon than Star Wars, on both Fanatic fan of both, and yeah, no, I mean, that, that's absolutely valid. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I find Prodigy to be visually stunning, and I wondered if you had anything to say about the art. Ooh. Oh, I have a lot to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> However, I will, I will keep it somewhat brief, which, you know, people that know me are like, you, really? <laughs> um, artistically speaking, it's, I love the fact that it's very, very saturated, uh, that the characters are incredibly fluid moving. Um, so much so that I feel that for younger audiences, and, and for me as well, um, I find it's a lot easier to get into the characters because um, because the animation is so good, and because the character um, the character design is so well done that you stop thinking about them as animated characters, and I believe that is probably the entire point. Um, but everything is so smooth and everything is so very well done. You go down on the planet and it's still really colorful, but maybe in a different way or maybe they use a different color palette, etc. So um, it's it's very it's very neat. There's also this, the situation where the character design for them in their regular clothing as they first get on the ship is establishes them in one sense, but then when they put on the uniforms, now it's symbolic of the fact that now they are they are a family, they are a complete team. And for children to be able to see that visually is incredibly cool. Because you don't have to beat them over the head with the fact that, hey, we've learned teamwork. They're like, no, we're all we're all wearing we're all wearing the uniform. So now we're all on the same page. And now the kids can go, yeah, you know, so yeah, visually speaking it's it's Really, really well done. Yeah, it's it's gorgeous. So. Thank, thank you, Jazz. And thanks for taking Prodigy. It's probably good to have a visual artist talking about that. Well, of course, of course. Anytime. <laughs> <laughs> so, and 
we're going to come back to your question because I want to talk about discovery and we're uh, not discoveries, uh, and we're running out of time. So uh, please don't forget your question. Okay. Um, so the comic is going to talk about lower decks, which is also <laughs> very uh, pertinent. And like, listen, one of the things I love about lower decks is that it's funny, but something I think is really important is something Bruce mentioned, something we've all talked about. None of this new material is putting down the old material. All of the new Star Trek loves the old Star Trek and is like uplifting it, writing wrongs, doing things that the old writers were not able to do, giving characters moments to shine and to be fully realized. And it's marvelous. I've been watching Star Trek since I could basically walk. And so I teased on old school. I grew up with Next Gen. I like did not spend time with Enterprise. <laughs> it was like tumultuous breakup years. And then I've come home with Discovery and Strange New Worlds. But the one that is my love song to Star Trek that I go to for comfort and joy and fulfillment and everything I need as a long-term Trekkie is Lower Decks. It is so genius and every episode is very referential in a way that if you're a fan, you're like, oh my God, did they do that? They did that. Oh, thank you. But also you don't need to have seen literally all Star Trek to get the humor. It's for adults, unlike Prodigy, yeah. it can be for kids and adults. Lower Decks is not for children. <laughs> it is, it's, it's definitely delving into the underbelly of Star Trek, such as it is. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. And it's also like, it diffuses some of the preciousness. It's like, yeah, but like, how do they actually get all of that done? And let's talk about how they show you the best PR of the Federation, but it is the PR of the Federation. The reality is that we have to go out and clean the barnacles off of the ship. We gotta, you know, clear out the scoopers, you know, to use some semen terms. I don't know what they mean, but bear with me. And like, there is interpersonal dynamics. No matter what Roddenberry wanted, people are people. And like, it doesn't matter if you're Orion or, you know, Vulcan, they're going to be talking to you like, what? Oh my god. <laughs> Did you snore all night? Like, come on, man. And we have to share bumps. So that part, I think, is so joyful and reverent and also does a great job of never taking itself too seriously. I also love that it was sort of born out of social media a little bit. So the writer, uh, Michael Mann, um, ran a Twitter account back when it was a good place called uh, <laughs> Star Trek The Next Generation Season 8. And so we had all these like fantastical ideas of like, what could have come next from, you know, TNG? What was waiting for them? And he sort of runs with some of those like, what if, what could have come next? So this is, it's, it's considered that Lower Decks happens after the Nemesis movie, and so it's kind of in the TNG era, which is delightful. Um, and, and speaking of love songs and uplift, uh, before we wrap up, we do have to talk about 
and, and I, I guess I should say, as much as it's reverent and, and full of laughter, it is also talking about more serious topics in a way that are, is like accessible for people. Sometimes you need comedy to talk about really heavy things. And we talk about really heavy things in a beautiful, thoughtful, respectful way in all of these shows. And then Lower Decks is like, yeah, man, but we were written by Gen Xers, and our tool is, <laughs> is laughing at ourselves and talking about our suffering. So strap it. Because um, somebody's got to clean the holodecks. <laughs> serious stuff, but then after the first couple of episodes of the Lower Deck, I'm like, oh, okay, that, that is funny. Uh, yeah, they, they, okay, yeah, they do that a lot. Yeah, that's kind of weird. And so you start kind of not taking it as seriously, and it's it's cool that they have that kind of humor, which again, isn't about them punching down, it's about them just kind of noticing the same stuff that we know. It's like, wow, there's certainly a lot of episodes where they're in a cave. <laughs> For them to tell her 
Space Nine fan. I heard one quick reference. I just wondered if any of you could put it some discovery in Below Deck sounds great. I haven't explored them yet. I might have to get Paramount Plus or wherever they are. You should do it. Yeah. Yes. Are they both on Paramount yeah, Plus? Yeah, exactly. oh, great. Okay. Except Prodigy. But I wondered if someone could, if anyone wants to speak to Deep Space Nine and maybe put it in that context or something or any other fellow diehards for Deep Space Nine? I feel like Discovery and Deep Space Nine are actually a lot more similar than any of the other ones because they have kind of the darker overall feel to it, the conflict, and um, the kind of art, like a little more of a story arc type thing in the seasons instead of episodic. Like DS9 was the first one that brought us like the big Dominion Wars and stuff like that. So I feel like um, if you're a big DS9 fan, I think you'll like Discovery. I think okay. it's got the same kind of vibe. Yeah. Um, but also there are a lot of guest stars in Lower Decks. <laughs> like they, Kira. Oh, yeah, I'd love yeah, to see her. I love it. And like their security officer like, was like, like, was like kind of like one of Kira's comrades at one yeah. point. Oh, yeah. So like, it's great. Yeah, one of the other things about Deep Space Nine, in terms of discovery too, and I'll keep this really quick, is that, um, as you touched on, um, it talks about, basically, you start to see the, the Star Trek universe, but from other people's perspective, which is very, very important, which is unlike the way it was in TNG, where everything is really cool and wonderful and, and very hopeful. Now you get to see it from everybody else's perspective, that we're like, well, we don't, we don't like the Federation, and we're all like going, wait, what? What, what do you mean? You know, and you start to realize that it's it's a utopia for most of us, but other people have their own version of utopia, which is yeah. not the Federation. So I think those th those questions get kind of addressed, and I, I think that it's really cool. So we're out of time. We're out Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. If you enjoyed our show, please check out D&D Journey of the 5th Edition and Ragnarok and roll a Scion Hero to Ragnarok Story. Also, check out our Patreon page for more content and behind-the-scenes things, as well as joining us for a one-shot game or two.